This is the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're doing a making of wrap-up and our pub quiz answers in this episode. I loved She-Hulk so much even then that I put her into my Black Widow pitch. I think at one point he even said, like, kind of feels like you're pitching a She-Hulk story with Black Widow in it. And I said, guilty. So when I didn't get that job, my parting shot to them was, if you ever do do She-Hulk, you better call me. Because if you don't, I will come back and burn this building to the ground. And then Kevin makes the announcement that they're going to do She-Hulk as a series. And I'm furious because I look at my phone. I'm like, I don't have any missed calls from Marvel Studios. I told them what would happen. And my fiance was, of course, like, chill out, dude. And then literally the next day I got a call, you know, from Marvel (laughs) to see if I wanted to pitch on She-Hulk. And of course I was like, oh, was I think I heard something about an announcement. Welcome back, fellow defenders, to a special wrap-up, making-of, and pub quiz episode of TV Podcast Industries. This time we're talking about Marvel Assembled, the making of She-Hulk, Director by Night, the making of Werewolf by Night, and we're also going to be crowning two champions in this episode. We're going to be uh, crowning the champion of our She-Hulk bar exam and of our Umbrella Academy Obsidian Bar Quiz. Oh, that was a mouthful. Uh, Lots going on. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John, and introducing our newest member of our team. Hi, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Yay! Welcome back, Chris. Yes, thank you, thank you. I have been uh, summoned back from my banishment of uh, <laughs> in the mirror universe or in one of the multi multiversal kind of I I was in six one six and now then I was in ten twenty two and <laughs> now I'm back in Ireland. Yeah, Ireland's its own universe in the multiverse of the MCU. By the way, see, I, I don't know why. I I just thought you'd broken through the fourth wall and we're running around uh, back the back lot of the podcast yeah. uh, room. Well, we've we, we still got to start drafting our script for Banshee. Yes, we do. Yes, we, yes, do. we do. We do have to do that. <laughs> uh, yes, fellow defenders, welcome back. If you missed that, there uh, the, the proposal that uh, we've come up with to uh, make our names big in the MCU is that we're going to be writing the script for the Irish character, Banshee. Um, that seems to be the way this works, doesn't it? Well, yeah. unfortunately, as these documentaries tell us, there's a lot more work goes into becoming a writer-director for Marvel uh, than just having a basic idea and happening to be from the country. <laughs> so um, we will be breaking right into it as we go through our discussions about uh, the making of these two uh, Marvel shows. Yeah, I just we just need a Grammy, an Emmy, uh, an Academy Award, yeah. and a few other things just kind of thrown <laughs> the in. Emmy? Tony, what, what's the Grammy for? Michael Giacchino. Yeah, but it's music. Yeah, Michael Giacchino yeah. won, no, won many true, Emmys, lots yeah. of lots of Oscars, lots of awards for his music, <laughs> okay. and then got a directing job. Okay, grand. Yes. Yeah. So we day. just need to become amazing in our other fields, yes. and then go to Kevin and go, "Yo, we do stuff that is completely <laughs> side sidestepping what we want to direct and write, but just let us direct and write." I think he'd probably respond with. Uh, Directly after he said "yo," he'd say "no," Chris. I think that's, that would be a I direct think he, response. Actually, I think he'd actually go. I go "yo," and he go, 
who the hell are you and how'd you get in my room? Exactly. That would probably be more... <laughs> I would also like to add, I am amazing in what I do at the moment. It's just it bears no relationship to... Um, yes, I guess writing a script for a movie. That's very true. That's very true. But if you're joining us for the first time, uh, welcome along to our uh, very weird discussion at the moment. We don't normally go this weird at the start of a podcast. If you do want to subscribe to the podcast, you can pop on over to tvpodcastindustries.com where we have uh, lots of ways to subscribe to our podcast. We cover tons and tons of shows at the moment, mostly Marvel, but uh, we're on a bit of a break from Marvel at the moment um, because... Uh, she-Hulk has just finished, and Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, is coming out in a couple of weeks' time. So in between that break, we usually do a wrap-up of our uh, of the previous show as well. But if you want to catch up on all the stuff we've covered, pop on over to tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, you can also send in a f- any feedback to us on any of the shows that we're covering by emailing us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or join us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. We are on Twitter while it still lasts. You can catch us there at TV pod industries or go over to instagram it's probably going to last a little longer and we are tv podcast industries over there as well hopefully we'll hear from you uh, but guys yeah let's jump into our discussion of firstly let's go with marvel assembled the making of she hulk so once again with the assembled documentaries a kind of a, a behind the scenes look at the making of the show these are we've, we've said before these have mostly uh, interviews with the cast and crew, usually quite lighthearted, um, not usually that in-depth. I want to jump into my marvellous moment, uh, number one, for for this episode, which is really, we did get a pretty deep discussion about the, the CGI involved in creating this character of She-Hulk for the show, and this, you know, a nine-episode series where your central character is fully CGI'd throughout the show, and kind of the challenges that they talked about there. I thought that was a really interesting discussion. Yeah, this was really cool. Like, the different sets they had where, like, they, they had one where they sat up with a volume. They had the other where it was just kind of, de- like, the the more on-location styled mm. kind of different variations to keep her, like, Tatiana in kind of, in where they she was supposed to be. Plus, then they had her other stunt double, uh, the, the actual six-foot-seven yeah. woman, six-foot-four woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and Malia, six-foot-seven. Yep. Yes, uh, and then just the, 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 how they went through it all. Um, I did not note, I should have, I should have copped it from my years of playing video games, but because She-Hulk has long flowing hair, that was one of the most yeah. hardest parts for them. Mm-hmm. And it was only that after I watched the making of it, I went, okay, do you know what? I'm just going to jump back really quickly. And they animated a lot of individual hair strands. It yeah. wasn't just like, here's a big clump of hair and put it on and it all moves as one. Yeah. Like, they had the little flicks at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those interesting ones. And we don't normally talk about the kind of crap that's spoken on the internet uh, when these shows are on. You always find people that are going to complain about stuff. But it was such a massive, ambitious task to have your central character in a show like this and a, a weekly half-hour comedy effectively being... A CGI created character. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the way they talked about it, as you said, Chris, they have their two different versions of the setup, which is an optical setup where all of the filming is being done in one location. It takes a long time to set up, but it gets a great um, version of the character. So that's what's used for video games, for example. Mm-hmm. When God of War is done or when uh, when Uncharted's filmed, they film it in this way. It's all set up perfectly. You calibrate everything. Everything looks great. And then they have the other version of it, which is the inertial version 
version of it which they use in motion when there's loads of other people around or when they're just filming on the street effectively for a couple of minutes or for for a couple of scenes and that stuff is much less precise and the amount of moaning that went on about how terrible the cgi was when they were using for some of the setups the best possible technology available in the world and the reason why it looks different in from certain scenes to other scenes is because they are pushing the technology to its absolute um, biggest degree, really. Yeah. It's that they're pushing it to the furthest they can get so they can still deal with the drama and the comedy of a real television show. It's not just a tech demo here. It's a, it's it's about showing that they can have this character at the center of it, which I just thought was a really interesting part of the, the, the documentary. But I loved how this all set up as well, you know, in terms of the initial production, the brainstorming, I guess, you know, how were they going to do the show that, you know, were they going to do it Bill Bixby, uh, Lou Ferrigno style, mm. um, like we, we got in the, the, the series as well, but decided on this CGI, and you've mentioned kind of that high-tech stuff, but even just, you know, having the stunt double, as Chris has said, to do certain scenes... Um, I love that they animated certain transformations or transitions on camera, like mm. um, the one with uh, it going from Tatiana to She-Hulk, effectively, um, and that was um, uh, ripening strawberries was the inspiration for that yeah, kind of the way that transition uh, took place. I thought I thought that was really interesting, and then seeing. Like with with all that the shots, you know, certainly with Ruffalo and Tatiana, the just with all the dots on the face, the head mounted cameras, mm-hmm. sort of doing their thing. But then also the prosthetic add ons that they use, where you've just got Ruffalo with a prosthetic forearm banging on <laughs> on his bar. Uh-huh. So I thought this was one of the best sort of take throughs of CGI of any of them. And yes, it's because the central character, the title character, is. CGI, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's certainly plenty of CGI going on in the others, even if it's just you know sort of much more subtle. Hundred percent. So, yeah, yeah. um, I really kind of enjoyed th- this part of it. That, along with just Jessica Gale basically saying how her Black Widow pitch had quite a lot of She-Hulk in mm-hmm. it, and they should consider her for a She-Hulk series, or she'd burn. Marvel to the ground. Loved it. Love Jessica Gowan here. You can tell her passion and how much fun she brought to the show. I loved her talking about, you know, the idea that they wanted to have a comedian. The person has to have, you know, years worth of experience in stand up, years worth of experience as a comedy, comedy actress. And the proposal that was given to her was, how about we bring in Tatiana Maslany, who's done seven seasons of a drama show? And it worked out brilliantly. Uh, Tatiana, Tatiana Mislani slid into that role of B and was able to deliver the comedy really well for the series. I thought that was another uh, great moment from her. Uh, anything else from from uh, from the behind the scenes, Chris, for uh, for She Hulk that stood out to you about the uh, the people behind the, behind the camera? Yeah, no, the biggest one for me was just the discussion. I the kind of my marvelous moment was really that they were going to do the standard Marvel fair ending initially. And that just it, midway kind of through was the decision yeah. was like, this is not working. This is, we need something different. It's just not sitting right. And they went yeah. through different iterations and then they spoke to Kevin. So again, we are seeing how much 
of a hand Kevin Feige has in these things. He is similar to Dave Filoni and John Favreau from the Star Wars now. They are, well, you could actually even say Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. But, like, definitely, like, they have their fingers in these and are steering this ship at times. Mm -hmm. And I was just, it was interesting to see. And, And hear about when they kind of went, well... What does she do? She breaks the fourth wall. Okay, yeah. well, they had already incorporated that. Well, why doesn't she come into the real world? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, that brings it into these bigger discussions. Um, and for me, that was just, it was good to see because yeah. that ending for me was still one of the freshest, and mm-hmm. I don't yeah. mean kind of right, but it was just unique. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a, a breath of fresh air, which this whole show was. Mm-hmm. But if they had have kind of kept with that very standard, similar powered people fighting CGI fest look fest yeah. for 15 minutes at the end of the, or 10 minutes or five minutes at the end of that season, we all would have gone, eh, grand. Yeah, fine. Uh, like it was good up to a point and then we, it would just be forgotten with history. Exactly. Now I am very much in that. Oh no, they they can go anywhere with this now. They yeah. can do Deadpool level stuff, minus the gore and violence and R ratedness. But well, maybe <laughs> who knows? But they yeah. could go anywhere, and I think that's one of the biggest. Like, I still want to see Wongers on a spinoff with Madison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, they could do. You remember the one shots we used to get yeah. in between the film? You could do a one shot with definitely Wongers and Madison mm-hmm. go shopping. Or, like, YouTube them, ha- have them on YouTube as little shorts, them kind of reviewing, like, Sopranos and Lost and, <laughs> like, Jojo Rabbit and all these them doing TV shows and film reviews. Like, that would be hilarious. And it's all now because of the uniqueness of the show. And it is now I'm more excited about the possibilities of the future because they were essentially given a... And almost like, okay, yeah, go for it. If this isn't working for you, go do something different. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. It's like, for me, I, I love the fact that, you know, with them struggling with the ending, Kevin Feige effectively, you know, freed up the writers to think outside of the box, do something different. Um, you know, not that sort of traditional Marvel movie kind of ending. And even though, because, you know, part of the joke was that that's what it was building to. And then you have the break. And I love the fact that even just doing that initial setup, you know, you and just referring back to what we were saying about the CGI is that there were four CGI characters in that scene, which mm-hmm. was really, really challenging, really big kind of production element. And with them with the post-production, so because you had Todd Hulk, the Hulk, She-Hulk, as well as Abomination. Mm-hmm. So... Like, even though that was the riff and the initial setup for the breaking of the fourth wall, it still required all that CGI character work, which I thought was, was good. And finally on this, they really do need to bring back one shots because like yourself, Chris, I want to see Wongas and Madison, um, in a one shot because it wasn't that such a great way of, further exploring characters that popped on like at least in the movies to begin with and and which ultimately led at at least with peggy carter's one shot to her having a three season um 
show. Absolutely, and some would argue that there was a the one shot with uh, with Agent Coulson led to uh, Agents of Shield yeah. as well. We had uh, we had that after after his first appearance in Thor. He had that going into Avengers and then Agents of Shield. So one shots are massive things. Of course, now having the uh, the TV series uh, on Disney Plus uh, gives them the ability to expand and and uh, and look at different characters in different ways. So we could just see an appearance of Wongers, as as, as we're saying, as of of those two characters together uh, in another show on Disney Plus now in the future. That could be the way they'll do it. So they may not create three minute shorts anymore, but we absolutely could have the appearance of those characters. Benedict Wong seems to absolutely love his time appearing in shows. And I think if you asked him to appear in any of the Marvel shows, he'll pop up. I think he, he just walks around in his uh, his Wong costume at all times. <laughs> you know, he just wants to meet every everybody in the cast of the MCU. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of the other half of the show. The first half was, you know, everybody behind the scenes uh, from directors and writers, uh, you know, saying how much they were involved in the project. Uh, and then the main cast, of course, and then the second half of the show was talking about all the people that came on board um, throughout the series. Lots of day players, as, as Tatiana Maslany called them, people that were in for an episode here and there, you know, uh, which was which was interesting. But I will say that's the part that I think there was just a bit too much of. Yes. Um, it's almost half an hour of yeah. that. And it's probably because with a nine episode show where there were at least three or four different new characters every episode, everybody was getting a moment to talk to camera, you know, Um and it just felt like there was just a lot of that there. And I'd still like to have a bit more of the making of uh, with these documentaries. I, I always prefer the behind the scenes stuff rather than having um, the actors talk. But Definitely. the one standout, again, just like in the show, was Patty Guggenheim, who played Madison. Uh, I think she just comes across hilarious again in front yeah. of the camera when she's being interviewed uh they talk about the fact that she plays drunk really well and she goes well i've been practicing my whole life for this role yeah, yeah. Uh, which i thought was really good fun uh so yes you are I, I agree with both of you i'd love to see more of her with wong again in the future yeah. but i think we might get it as a, a little three minute throwaway in a future show they did they did drop one potential tidbit which is donny blaze's real name is not donny blaze that's right. Yeah. And I was like, no, you're not going to say his name was actually Johnny. No. And he changed it to Donny. Like, it's going to be like something like that. And I was like, or Donald Blake. <gasps> like, something very silly. Yeah. Um, but I, anyway, that was an interesting one. Though, look, I, I'm in agreement with you. Like, that started when they brought Mr. Mortal, when they brought the individual, every single kind of big player. They brought Matt, which was great. We got to see Charlie Cox. Mm-hmm. Not going to complain, but it just it took a large chunk of it. For yeah, me. It, it did. Uh, Absolutely. Speaking of Charlie Cox, Chris, we haven't said this to you. Uh, do you know he's working out in Dublin at the moment? He's been filming over in Ireland uh, for the last while. He's working out in Swords, which is about five minutes from our house. Uh, should we go? So you're going every. <laughs> so you're going to the gym every week, right? I, have, okay. I, I haven't got to the gym in my life. I'm now stalking a gym in We've Swords. We've joined the gym. <laughs> Yes, you're not working out, but you're in the gym yes. all the time. We're working out our eyeballs. <laughs> yes. Look left, look right, look up, look down. But again, but, um, again, great to see Charlie Cox here. It's you know, it was, it's really good to, to see how how he was trying to bring them into his family that he created in, in from the Netflix time on, in Marvel, and how they were bringing him into this comedy show, which he hadn't done within uh, the MCU before. I thought that was really good fun as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean. No, no. I, I, I quite liked seeing all the cast. I think it's one of those things where it's it's a curse and a blessing. I mean, I thought it was yeah. really good that they kind of gave everyone their their moment a bit. I mean, I just think it could have been done with, you know, 
sprinkled throughout this rather than it kind of being this segment where mm. they just sort of, you know, like uh, dominoes, they just tick off the next one. But I, I was really pleased that they gave um, everyone that little bit of time because there were a lot of those, with it being episodic, mm-hmm. there were a lot of those sort of one-episode um characters like i mean i was really pleased they brought leapfrog in like Mm -hmm. the 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 guy who played leapfrog was just like so excited about it and rightly so it was a brilliant episode i I loved leapfrog in it having madison uh and donnie blaze but but even like with runa the mischievous elf from asgard and Mm -hmm. mr immortal um but i think you know the the one part i thought that you know because it I think it just connected to the writing to the characters that was really good was them talking about Tim Roth coming in, you know, where they actually mentioned that he added a depth and complexity to Emil Blonsky um, that maybe they hadn't written. I mean, that they, they were saying that they'd written him much more straight laced and, and, mm-hmm. and simple. Whereas by the end of, by the end of it, Tim Roth had kind of brought this whole notion, which really worked in the show, because we were saying, is he the bad guy, ultimately? Exactly. That he brought this depth and complexity where you didn't quite trust him, even yeah. though he was saying all the right stuff. And yeah. I thought that was I thought that was really good, because, I mean, I loved Tim Roth in this. I've always loved Tim Roth. <laughs> um, back from Reservoir Dogs, ultimately. Yeah. And so it was. I was just really chuffed to see him there, and just doing some of his lines as yeah. well. Um, at at his retreat, absolutely. Um, I love the description they gave him as being he's somewhere between embarrassing, pretentious, and villainous. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. I think, in fact, throughout the, throughout the conversations we had on the show and some of the feedback that we got in from our wonderful fellow defenders, uh, I think we had about three or four people going. I don't trust Tim Roth. Why would you trust Tim Roth? You never trust Tim Roth, you know. <laughs> so, so he does bring that to his character. So uh, really enjoyed and that. He, and he played with that element of mm, it, I exactly, guess. Exactly. Um, but I think some of the highlights for me was both Titania not realizing that she was going to have six months of stunt work ahead mm-hmm. of her, yeah. um, which I thought was funny. That's good. Um, I really liked um, sort of seeing DJ Wong on set, mm-hmm. sort of sort of bringing the party. Yeah. Um, and of course, just then with with Daredevil with the suit fitting, where Charlie Cox thought he was just being brought in to see if the old suit fitted him, mm-hmm. uh, but it was then this entirely new concept for the suit uh, that he was getting uh, fitted out for. So, like, there was some really good bits to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it it somehow needs to be connected with the making of, which I thought certainly the Tim Roth element and Daredevil element was, um, certainly, um but it was either just they were too short and, and didn't go enough into detail mm. or, you know, again, it's whether some of the Marvel Assembled is about having these pieces that ultimately can be done for for promotion um, at yeah. the start, you know. Do you know, I, I, I'll come back to what we always have said, you know, this, when you're doing commentary on an episode of a show, you can get into those specific details, but when you're doing a wrap-up at the end of the series, it does have to look a bit diff- different, because I think all of this stuff is really interesting, fun information, but as you say, because it's a minute of each individual actor, 
back to back to back to back to back it feels like it's overloaded with um with in this section anyway overloaded with just sound bites as opposed to something that could have been released after each individual episode where they've had their interviews you know i even liked you know uh, griffin matthews who played uh, luke uh, the tailor saying that he took some of his inspiration for the character from when he walked around the tailors for marvel the people that created all those costumes he took a bit of inspiration for his character there i thought that was lots of fun you know um, and yeah. seeing josh segura talking about how much he loves being in the mcu play pug uh, his love for being able to bring a character to life from the comic book that was great too you know and, and of course ginger gonzaga who was fantastic on the show she yeah. was absolutely perfect on the show and you can see that they really needed to make that work on the show or else the show wouldn't have worked and you can see how much yeah. work goes in behind the scenes and she is hilarious well i loved well. how tatiana said she is the sharpest person uh-huh. you know way brainier able to sort of improvise on a dime yeah. effectively yeah. and it, it was really good yeah. um you know and e- even just when they showed uh, i think it was in the law offices mm. and uh, Tatiana's got a pole coming out of her head, effectively, with the face of She-Hulk on it. Uh-huh. And you, you see uh, Ginger, ha- l- you know, because that's the eye line, that's, that's the reference to look when speaking to her past Tatiana's face mm-hmm. and actually talking to just a, a, a flat mass. Yeah. And, and I'm, I was just there going, do you know, if I was the, I would still be looking at Tatiana because <laughs> it's it just that discipline of looking beyond the person. Yeah, but it, but it's it also that really in good. that scene she's delivering five different ad libs for the yeah. uh, for the the director to use. She's she's call, she's calling multiple um, jokes out over and over again while making the eyeline every single time as well. Like that's that's acting, of course, but she's hilarious. She's really good fun. Yeah, uh, Chris, anything else uh, that you thought today to you about the caster group? An actual standout was we didn't get a discussion on the ending in mm-hmm. that, like the, the post credit mm. where we, we see that Matt and uh, Jennifer are together or dating or something. And we, we see Hulk come back with his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I going into this, I was like, Oh, they don't have to tell me where the Hulks are going to appear next because that's an, Never gonna happen. Yeah. Um. I although we had now have post October, um, multiple rumors of World War Hulk, a movie which mm. is going to be very interesting since Hulk uh, rights are tied up exactly. very strangely. Yeah, yeah. Um. Fingers but crossed. also just really like why they thought to bring Scar in was this mm. like one of those interesting like hey you need to write a scene where you're going to be able to bring in the Hulk's son. Or something like that. Mm. I was just hoping for a bit more in kind of return after the one or two bit player, uh, day player, sorry, um, kind of interviews to jump back into the writers and why they did X or Y, mm. things like that. We just didn't get that. Um, and that's one thing I keep missing out on, on a lot of these uh, assembled mm-hmm. pieces, which is 
just I, I'd love to know more about the the script, the writing process, the wh- where you drew inspiration. Yeah. We got a taste of it yeah. when she started talking about why she chose the fourth wall breaking because mm-hmm. it was all in the comic books. And yeah. when she was pitching, when she when she had to come back and pitch, she went to her husband's house and read through all his old original eighties. Con- uh, well, that's it. That's run. it. And but even the fact that actually the first four episodes had mid credit scenes like what yeah. was the choice behind that you know let alone just the final one because i i guess the reason they don't go too much into that is because that's the that's the intriguing salivating yeah. nugget that's left behind for when scar appears in a in exactly. another show yeah. i'm it, guessing it, but nonetheless they made a conscious choice for at least the first three four um, episodes to have a mid credit scene mm-hmm. on that yeah. episode, but we don't know why. I mean, yeah. do you know? Yeah. So I, I think that would be, um, that would have been really, really good just to, again, that's part of the, yeah, the making of why they just made those choices, why they thought this was good. Why did it stop then from the end of the fourth episode? So yeah. those kind of little, sort of nuances in the in the making of i think mm-hmm. would really help the making of exactly yeah. yeah yeah it'd be really interesting um yeah but i but i do think they do have that challenge with uh, these uh, assembled documentaries they're not as in-depth as documentaries they they tend to have pieces pull them together moments with the the cast on the set as they're coming in and out for their for their day on set and then uh, assemble it at the end yeah. at the end of the series it's definitely we we have never had a moment where they tell you what's going to happen in the future of the MCU or going to happen in the future of of a series we don't have a season 2 confirmed and we don't have a next appearance confirmed for She-Hulk if there ever is one um so they're not going to tell you what's going on in their minds in case they want to choose a different path uh, for yeah. for that. But uh, yeah, that, that would have been a, a great addition, definitely. Yeah. Um, we have a little bit of feedback on uh, She-Hulk uh, from our fellow defenders. And of course, we have our She-Hulk bar exam to get to. But any final thoughts on um, Marvel Assembled, the making of She-Hulk? Um, I have two. One, Kevin... Had a hat, of course. Yes, um, I love that. I love the fact that also Kevin Feige said that would be stupid if yeah. he has a hat, and then so they worked it so it looked like he had a hat. I so loved, I thought that was yeah, nice. I loved all the drawings yeah. of alternative K E V I N, uh, which like you know everything from uh, a massive robot, square robot with a cap sitting on its yeah. head. Uh, you know, I love. I, love I that really idea. enjoyed that part of uh, the the making of She Hulk, mm-hmm. and the other thing it was actually really good to hear from Mark Ruffalo, you know, as as he said himself, you know, he's been this character for the last 10 years mm. and it was kind of how open he was to um, bring in the comedy and do that side of it in, in this very different context um, but also being um, really open uh, with Tatiana in terms of, I guess the hulk as as um as a character um you know so that she can play off it um you know contrast in terms of how her hulk is all that so i really enjoyed seeing uh mark ruffalo um mm-hmm. here just having that bit of a moment because sometimes um it's not that i feel sorry for mark ruffalo but in a sense you know he has this character where it can't be the main part of the of the mcu movie because of the rights issue exactly um and 
he's such a good actor. I've loved him in so many other things. And I just thought he, that whole little segment with the, the two of them was just really shows what a good, genuine guy Ruffalo is for me. Uh, And I liked how, you know, he's willing to do, um, this whole new kind of direction of the comedy angle uh, for for this show. So I thought that was good as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing else for myself, just kind of in, enjoyed what was the beginning and then kind of the rest of the marketing was interesting and fun, but kind of overall just, yeah, it, it, it was a, a fair to good assemble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's that's a good point, Chris. Yeah. We've we've been a, a bit hard on the other assembles that we've seen um, throughout the the Marvel TV shows. Some of them very light. Some of them, uh, some of them have just been press junkets. I'd say this one is slightly more interesting to me because they have the whole discussion on the CGI and how it was done. Yes, I thought that was exactly. that in itself felt quite in depth as a as a part of the documentary. So uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Right. Let's pop on over some feedback on She Hulk. We have a couple a couple of pieces that came in after the finale. Uh, starting off with an email that we got into feedback at TV Podcast Industries from Lord Elric, who says, Greetings, guys. I found you way back when you were doing Wheel of Time and loved your content and banter. It took me this long to catch up, not every single episode, uh, but and to finally comment on a show that, that I'm watching along with you. I loved She-Hulk and had a lot of fun watching and listening to your responses. The finale intro was so awesome. Love the Incredible Hulk homage. Watched as a kid. The ending was not what I was expecting, but nothing in this show was typical, which was her message and meta ending. I loved how much fun this finale and show was and look forward to a second season or a cameo on Daredevil, maybe. By the way, does the Hulk have a son? Thanks again. You guys are great. And I will be watching all the shows I love and watch. Keep up with the great content. If you had pullmeapint.com, I might just tip a glass with you. Lord Elric. <laughs> Very good, Lord Elric. <laughs> Referencing our buymeacoffee.com at, uh, where you can support TV podcast industries. So uh, pullmeapint.com uh, slash TVPI coming soon. Yes. Well, you could just buy me a coffee and we'll just add the, the we'll just buy a pint to make it, it anyway. Irish. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Irish up the coffee. There well, the, the, the price that pints are going at the moment, we should really get that IP. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, good stuff. Great to have you on board with us, uh, Lord Elric. And, uh, great that you've been catching up since Wheel of Time. Uh, we're going to be back with uh, Wheel of Time next year when uh, when it returns to uh, to Prime Video. Yeah, excellent yes. stuff. Um Lord Elric, um, really glad you've enjoyed listening along to us, certainly on Wheel of Time, because I think the first few was just Chris and myself. So mm-hmm. I think that was pressure at the time uh, doing that without the producer slash, uh, you know, dictator with us. That's and the one. so, you know, it was uh, glad you found us through Wheel of Time for sure, because <laughs> yes. I can't wait to do season two yes. um, for sure. That should be yeah. fun. Fun. And uh, Lord Elric, if you want to uh, check out uh, Planet Hulk and then the ensuing World War Hulk uh, comic series, if you want to know more about um, Hulk's, Hulk's son, son yes. Scar. Exactly, yes. exactly. Great stuff. We also got an email in from Coffee and Vodka who says, Greetings, fellow defense resting defenders. At its core, the fight for the platform to control their own narrative was pretty intense, yet made funny and fun. Jessica Gay should be given any project she wants. Not much else to say other than refusing to be tricked once again. I'm claiming that Todd was just a mindless mid-manager and the leader actually runs the organization. Also that Holden Holloway was actually Mephisto having a bit of corporate fun. Best scene 
in the series, the Disney menu punched through. Best guest star appearance, Wong. Five meta mind melds out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. What was your best guest star appearance of the series, guys? Chris, what's your favorite guest star? Daredevil. Series? Daredevil. I'm yeah. taking Matt Murdock. I'm taking Charlie Cox. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. John? I, I can't just do one, to be honest. Uh, as I never can. Daredevil, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Tim Roth, for sure. And I'm going to do another tier for the smaller, maybe episodic characters, um, but absolutely Madison because of the Mm -hmm. connection with Wong. And uh, Leapfrog. I would watch... A bit more of him. More Leapfrog. (laughs) I think it's a great concept. And actually, with the making of the suit... I, I, (laughs) I knew the suit was kind of to look like a frog, but... The drawings of it made it even more so. Yeah, the um, concept art for sure. Yeah. So um, I definitely, um, I think Madison and Leapfrog, uh, yes, are my my two you know smaller characters. Excellent, excellent. I agree with both of you. Uh, thanks very much, Coffee and Vodka. Uh, Phil Boodle over on Facebook said, just finally watched the last episode of She-Hulk. Loved the inventiveness of it. Listen to the podcast now. As always, I feel a kinship to the governor's broadcasting it. Uh, I did not hear about the QR code I spotted on the door of Marvel Studios. Surely I can't be alone in following it to an offer that might be of interest to some. Uh, very good uh, po- pointing out there, Phil. Um, we, we noticed them back in, in Moon Knight and forgot to point them out in, uh, in She-Hulk. There are QR codes in most of the episodes of She-Hulk uh, leading into comics that uh, you may want to read. Uh, the one in the finale, as Jennifer is going through the doors of Marvel Studios, the QR code that's there leads you to issue number 50 of She-Hulk, which was where she broke the fourth wall when the original writer of the comic books died and she uh, wanted to break out of what he was writing for. That's when she broke through the fourth wall. So it's a great uh, a great um, comic to read. So go, go back to the episode, scan the QR code. The comic's free as well, so. Yeah. Yep. Thank thanks you so for, much, Phil. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. The final piece of feedback comes from John Daniels, who had this to say: "This is a delightful edition of Assembled. I love all the interviews with Tatiana and Mark in their full mocap suits and behind the scenes. They're both such goofballs and just so good at their jobs. All of the behind the scenes just made me wish I could be a fly on the wall for the entire production of the series." I was a little sad there wasn't any chat or hint about a season two, but I'm holding out hope. Thanks, John. Yeah, I think we all are. I think that we'll definitely see She-Hulk in the two new Avengers, uh, which are like 2028 and 2027, I think. I think those are the new the scheduled times, but mm. we'll see. So we'll definitely see her there. Hope so. But, because you would assume it's the same as kind of Endgame and Infinity War, they'll just bring everyone together. Yeah, there's Um, there's some quote going around on the internet that they want to have every named character, every named uh, MCU character that's alive to appear in in those shows to make it bigger than uh, than Endgame. That's the the quote that's out there, apparently. And also, John, uh, don't be a fly on the wall, certainly not when Leapfrog is around. Uh, There you go. You might be uh, eaten up. Nice, John, nice. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe just get a job as a stagehand uh, <laughs> rather than being a flyer. Or just break the fourth wall and break in. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Good stuff. Thanks, John. Uh, one more piece of business on She-Hulk to close out our full coverage of the season. John, your favourite time again. Let's pop on over and start the bar exam. Are you saying exams are my favourite part of my time? Because I can assure you, eh-eh. 
Well, setting the, the questions. How about that? The bar. Yeah, exactly. And setting the questions, since, since you did set all the questions <laughs> for the season. Uh, let's kick off with our question about episode number one of She-Hulk, A Normal Around to Raise. The question was, what is written on Jennifer's white t-shirt as she fights her cousin Smart Hulk? It was, I heart Mexico. It certainly was. Mm. Uh, episode two, uh, which was Superhuman Law. The question was, how many jobs is Jennifer Walters turned down for in person? Mm. The answer is four. Yes. In episode three, The People versus Emil Blonsky, the question was, how is Wong's social media presence chaotic? The answer is, he's either a sorcerer supreme who lives in New York, or he's a librarian who lives in Nepal. <laughs> yes, very confusing if you're trying to find out who uh, who the guy is, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Mysterious, no less. Exactly, exactly. On episode four, is this not real magic? Uh, the question was, what is the name of the demon that Madison made a deal with to escape the hell dimension and get dropped off at Wong's? No, it was not Mephisto, it was Jake. Yes. There you go. A.K.A. Mephisto. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, episode 5, Mean Green and Straight Poured Into These Jeans, Just a Bit Like Me. The question was, name three of Titania's She-Hulk-branded beauty products. Mm. There was a range from the Beauty Serum, the Beauty Oil, the Beauty Tonic, and the Snake Venom. Of course, She-Hulk-branded Snake Venom. Yes. Yummy. <laughs> For the question of episode six, which was entitled Just Jen, the question is, how many partners is Mr. Mortal negotiating with? The answer is eight. Yes, eight partners. There you go. That's right. That's right. There's a little bit of confusion on this one. Um, I've, I've done the count and everybody that's got the question right is in the pot here. But a little bit of confusion on this one because there were, uh, there were I think, six wives, uh, two partners and a lawyer on the other side of the table. So some people were getting it somewhere between seven and nine. So I have given uh, a couple of people the the, uh, the correct answer who explained it uh, as to where they came up with their number. So uh, there you go. Uh, for episode seven, The Retreat, the question was, what is the name of Emil Blonsky's wellness retreat it was summer twilights it certainly was mm -hmm. yes we all need to go there for a nice massage and a yurt absolutely let's go do yurting yes uh, for episode eight ribbit and rip it the question was if it takes one daredevil 15 seconds to take out one goon how long will it take him to take out 10 goons yes, it's not 60 minutes no it is two and a half minutes mm -hmm. or 150 seconds maths it's your friend <laughs> <laughs> for episode nine the finale entitled whose show is this the question was what two inspirational female lawyers on the wall in jen's childhood bedroom the answer is Aaron Brockovich and the one and only legally blonde Al Woods. Excellent stuff. Yes, yes. proper lawyer inspiration. Uh, but of course, coming from movies uh, on the wall of uh, of uh, Jen Walters, love that. Uh, that's it. That's the nine questions. Lots of entries. We have got our final lineup of um, winners uh, of people who've given us all the correct answers. And who will go into the electronic tombola mm -hmm. that is Google. Yes, yes, indeed. So thank you so much, fellow quizzers mm -hmm. and defenders, for, for joining this bar exam. Yeah. Uh, into the draw go Adam Downing, Coffee and Vodka, Clyde Wheeler, Will Walton, Philippe Gurgle, Isidore Maya Souza, 
Vincent Hernandez and Dr. Bob Phillips. Absolutely. And the goodies that you're up with a chance of getting your hands on are either She-Hulk comic books or She-Hulk Funko Pops. Uh, I'll be in contact with the winner. Uh, ask which one you like, um, because I know some people aren't big fans of Funko Pops and some people don't read comic books. So I'm going to give you the option. Uh, you tell me which one you want and they'll be winging their way to you as uh, as soon as uh, I can order them. So there are eight people in there. So Chris, give us a number between one and eight, right? Chris, yes. Chris, would you turn on the electric tombola and get us a number between one and eight? Yes. Hey, Google, randomly choose a number between one and eight. Seven. Seven. And with that drum roll, uh, the winner of the She-Hulk bar exam is Vincent Hernandez. Well done, Vincent. Yes, well done, Vincent. Uh, We will be in contact, as Derek Mm -hmm. said, to see... Uh, which of the choices you would like for your prize. But congratulations, Vincent, on uh, being the winner of the She-Hulk Bar exam. And, of course, to everyone uh, who wrote in with the answers to the questions. It's really uh, great involvement from our fellow defenders and fellow quizzers. Absolutely. Hope you had a lot of fun uh, entering the the, uh, the bar, bar exam. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks again to everybody who sent some feedback throughout the throughout the season as well uh, for She-Hulk. That was a lot of fun uh, hearing all your thoughts about uh, about how much was going on in each of the She-Hulk episodes. Great fun. Uh, just a reminder, as always, this the episodes of TV Podcast Industries are brought to you by our supporters over on Patreon, including Carola Clark. Uh, thanks so much for all the support we're getting over on Patreon as well. Yeah, thanks so much, Carola. Yes, thank you so much. It does mean so much to us uh, because we do do this for a bit of fun. But it's good to know that we can have your support to help keep the lights on, the the servers going, the website up, the podcast feed spinning like a loom and a, spinning like a wheel, <laughs> a wheel of time, because the wheel spins and spins until season two. And I'm just going to go and trail off now. Okay. And thank you so much. I thought you yes. trailed off a few minutes ago, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Good stuff. Let's go on to the other documentary that we have to talk about. There's a bit of a shorter a shorter uh, discussion uh, than our discussion about uh, Marvel Assembled, the making of She-Hulk. The other documentary we want to talk about is um, Director by Night, which is the making of docu- documentary for Werewolf by Night. Chris, I know you didn't join us for uh, our discussion about Werewolf by Night, which was our Halloween episode because you were traveling at the time. What did you think of, of, of uh, Werewolf by Night overall? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I am a huge fan of Hammer House of Horror. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of kind of horror films and or the B-movie ones as well. Yeah. Um, so for me, this was a, a fantastic addition to, and it's also branching out. And oh my God, man thing. Oh, he's amazing. I can't <laughs> yeah. wait. I want the buddy cup of him and Jack Russell. Yeah. Um, uh, it was just so overall. I loved Werewolf by Night. I loved the style, the aesthetic, the mm. choice, the, the the direction, the lighting, um, the characters it introduced. Yeah, I want more of that. I don't know whether we're going to get seasons or will we get more just more one shots. Mm-hmm. I could have done with a, like more of that one shot, like an hour and a half. Okay. Give me the ninety minutes. Like, give me what happens next with the Bloodstone and things mm. like that. Yeah. Um. 
kind of but overall into, absolutely the next enjoyed it. welcome with the hour uh, I, thought, I thought it worked really well as a, as a different offshoot for marvel because they have their movies yeah. now and they have their these special presentations we're going to have another one coming up in a couple of weeks time uh, and of course now they have their six episode half hour shows and their hour long uh, six episode shows so loads of different variation coming yeah they're out mini animations with i am Groot. absolutely so loads of different uh, different options for them this was a very interesting one a black and white uh, horror movie uh, releasing three weeks before uh, halloween and interestingly this documentary is also really unusual i think for all of the stuff that we've covered in marvel they generally the documentaries that we cover from Marvel from the 616 documentaries that myself and John covered through all of these assembled documentaries all of them have almost started with the purpose and then they go out and film what they need to film and then they make the documentary out of it whereas here um, this documentary is really the path that Michael Giantino has gone through to become a director uh, directed by his brother Anthony Giacchino who ha- is taking all of the um home movies that Michael made when he was a kid with all of his mates and effectively talking you through the journey that he's gone through and and, yeah. and, and what yeah. Michael has wanted to do. I thought this was a really inspirational documentary yeah. in, in, in itself. You know, this, this young kid who um, never missed an opportunity to get everybody around him involved in making movies because that's what he wanted to do. And that's what everybody else wanted to do at the time. Everybody was really inspired uh, to do that. I thought it was a really interesting kind of time capsule and then we do get some behind the scenes, not a, not as much as we see in the assembled documentaries, um, but we do get a little bit of behind the scenes of Werewolf by Night. So I thought that was I thought it was a really good uh, balanced documentary as opposed to almost a PR piece for Werewolf by Night. Yeah, it was definitely a documentary, uh-huh. and I have to say, I just uh, really just loved it. I mean, it, it would to me if you know it would feel like them doing a similar thing with say jj abrahams Mm -hmm. or even with spielberg to some extent you know it felt like you know just this this path that uh michael giacchino has has been on Mm -hmm. you know wanting to do movies ultimately went on the the musical side of it and through um video games being spotted um based on that by jj abrahams Mm -hmm. and with lost and so i i thought this was great i mean for me the two primary reasons was just i went on a nostalgic sugar rush with it quite frankly i mean i just was happy watching it Mm -hmm. seeing and these kids sort of just playing and messing but you know then realizing the amount of time that it took uh, Michael, you know, when he was talking about scratching the the film in order to get the laser bolts mm-hmm. uh, on the um, on the film and for that to move, so having to do that, you know, kind of almost an imprecise stop motion on yeah. on the the reel of film. I love the fact that they played this in the auditorium of their school as well. <laughs> a number of them, of which. That school auditorium is like massive. Mm-hmm. I'm like going, yeah, we had nothing like that. I mean, that's like a proper theater. I it mean, is? we had yeah. a, a yeah. hall, do you know, yeah. where you put chairs out to watch stage plays. And even, <laughs> you know, this was like a full on like theater. And um, so uh-huh. I was like, again, just thinking of like 
US schools doing things bigger, better, um, and certainly with more money than what I experienced. But I did like the fact that when they all come back and visit the school, they're looking at them going, these are the exact same chairs we had here almost 40 years ago. The exact same floor is here. The exact same walls probably got painted, but it's all exactly the same. So while it is incredible to have an auditorium that size in the school, it's not like they updated it even once in the 30 years, which I thought was quite an interesting point they made. I I really enjoyed that, you know, they did the stage plays that were done by the school as well. And, you know, a a lot of these... They all met. These friends met in that way. Yeah. Um, I, I love the reunion at the end again. So yes. for me, this was uh, really felt like a nostalgic sugar rush. It was almost like when um went to the, the, the cinema to watch uh, Super 8, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, the movie by Abrahams, J.J. Abrahams. But it, oh, it's it such was, a good movie. Yeah, it really was. And again, it was just like that that whole feel of... um just the the late 70s 80s and this this kind of even like real cinema had this homemade quality to it in some respects you know obviously a lot more advanced but you know when you look at it now compared to the cgi like we've just been talking about in she-hulk you know it was just at a different stage in its development. Yeah. So I loved all this. Um, yeah, and like the point is, I suppose, this is the first generation that came after the big Star Wars blockbuster boom. Yeah. This was, you know, this is the kids that were, you know, five and eight years old when Star Wars came out and when Spielberg was really in his prime. You can see them uh, doing, a, you know, a version of E.T. Yeah, you can that see was them amazing. doing a version of Star Wars, of course, with the with, with Indiana Jones. Uh, with, and, and Indiana Jones. Yeah, you can see all that stuff being inspirations for them. Yeah. And that's that that's that generation where the directors, the people behind the scenes of those movies are saying effectively I just had to wing it because nobody else was able to do it. So these kids are trying to wing it the same way. And now it's led to Michael Giancino now, 30 years on, uh, being able to direct an MCU movie. Absolutely. Mm. How about you, Chris? I I enjoyed this. It was unique. It was a different take on Mm -hmm. what we usually get as an assembled. Um, This is the the polar opposite of the the marketing Mm -hmm. kind of side. This is a documentary about... Michael, not about oh, again his journey, and there's a bit kind of they do sprinkle in some, i.e., the kind of the monster, his first viewing of like the monsters, the heads, the props. Yeah, but it's not the prop. It's 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 his reaction to the prop, and yeah. and Kevin's reaction to the prop. Mm-hmm. This is like for me, this is the the polar opposite of what we get on the marketing side. Yes, and I'm like. God, just give me somewhere in the middle. <laughs> just bring me, bring you. You now have me on both sides. I'm like, just uh-huh. come on, bring, like you're so close here, people. You're getting you're, you. You kind of overcorrect corrected so much. You went into a documentary, which, by the way, is interesting. Is really yeah. fun to watch. I was enthralled watching this man's journey for the five yeah. months that they did it and i will and say this isn't an assembled just by the way this is not an assembled no. this is simply director by night is the name of this documentary it's not correct so but uh, it yeah. is with all the other assembled yeah, yeah in the category because yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's how i found it because it's been out a while yeah um so i overall i enjoyed what they kind of showed mm-hmm. for me it was just kind of like okay but why was 
when he told um, Kevin, he was like, I want Werewolf by Night because yeah. I was always into these the the slightly weirder kind of comic books, the offshoots, mm-hmm. and he got into Werewolf by Night and he, he said to Kevin, that's what I want. He didn't go into further detail about why he loved that character, mm-hmm. kind of, of who is Jack Russell. Because that's the thing. A lot of people probably don't know Werewolf by Night that much. Absolutely. I mean, hardly anybody does. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we're we're unusual in the fact that we kind of know uh, Werewolf by Night because that's where Moon Knight made his first appearance. Yeah. So we've all had connections with that character, really mostly through Moon Knight. Um, you know, but he, I think I would say what I took from that is, Giacchino has no particular connection with Werewolf by Night. He had a connection with all of those horror books like Tomb of yeah. Dracula. And he kind of said, if you're doing anything in that in that sphere, then give me a call. Yeah. Um, and, and also, it was interesting realizing that, you know, from school and college, his training was in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And I guess just, you know, as you go through that and as your life and potential career develops, the, the entry point into that became about music, yeah. which was massively successful. And so I love the fact that there's this opportunity here and um, that Marvel has given yeah. to effectively a, a key composer in, in, in their sort of wheelhouse well, exactly. of, yeah. of, um, of different uh, movie scores like yeah. Doctor Strange, like the opening sort of, uh, Marvel Studios sort of hurrah, mm-hmm. I guess, and um, all of that. So I thought that was really kind of nice because yeah. the other side of this that I really, really enjoyed was just the whole family aspect as well. I mean, firstly, that um, his brother Anthony was directing this mm-hmm. and also just the the moment where Anthony gives sort of a one page resume for his mum to read out, see how it read and <laughs> what she thought, and it it mentions him composing the the recent Batman, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Is Batman in the the Marvel universe?" And he's like, "No, uh, <laughs> that's DC." And she's like, "Oh, okay." I I know I love her face because yeah. that is the face of a mother who's been told that multiple times over the years he's been told it's not marvel it's dc mom how could you get this wrong she just has that face where she goes or she just gets really embarrassed by the fact that she should have gotten that right <laughs> or, or she's been told many times that she shouldn't have got it right it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if she got it wrong it's just a lovely face i fell in love with his parents yes absolutely. i love how respectful they are of his career in uh composing because they understand it <laughs> and the idea that he should be this excited about making a Marvel movie for them is kind of, but he's already done a lot of really successful things. Why yeah. is he so excited about doing this other successful exactly. thing? Exactly. It was very, very, it was really, I mean, for want of a better word, it was really cute. But I, yeah. I agree. I, there was something warming about having, uh, again, the, the nostalgic element. But yeah. I loved how it, it showed the, this supportive parents and um, mm-hmm. And then I loved how all of a sudden they were kind of like where they had that part in the documentary where they were showing how they did all their different stunt works mm-hmm. and they were putting sort of um bangers in their chest with tomato ketchup <laughs> and all this yep. and, you know, drive being driven around and, you know, different stunts, homemade stunts effectively that they were doing. Yep. And there was almost that moment where the mom and dad were kind of, 
But we looked after them. They never got hurt. You know, there were some yeah. close moments. But, and I, I, you know, we weren't bad parents. You know, yeah. I just really thought, I guess, you know, in the era where it was no mobile phones, mm-hmm. you couldn't be tracked or whatever, you went off and did your thing. And it's like, all of a sudden, the first thing your parents would ever hear about anything is if you were being dragged back to the door by uh, a neighbor or whoever, you know, by the ear. So... Yeah. I just love that kind of that side of it as well, yes. because, um, you know, some of the stunt stuff that they were doing, it was just really good. I mean, even the one where one of the kids borrows a sword that was in his mum's house on the mm-hmm. wall. And it's like, if I hadn't have ducked then, because, you know, I would have had this sword like swipe right across my neck kind yep. of thing. So, Absolutely. you know, fair juice. It yeah. was, uh, organized uh stunt work I it, it was and I, I suppose that's that's what kind of why his parents shouldn't have had to worry at all because i know a lot of us that grew up in the 80s did stupid stuff like this oh yeah but it definitely wasn't on camera no. and at least michael Kino was trying to make sure that it looked good and trying to make sure that it was done like he'd seen in the movies, as opposed to someone throwing a stick of dynamite at one of their mates. Um, you know, he was throwing a stick of dynamite in a pool to make an explosion and see what it would look like on camera. He wasn't trying to, to see if uh, if his friends could play catch with a bomb. You know, but even that um, moment so. where he's asked, "Where, as you know, a teenager, did you get and source a stick of dynamite?" <laughs> I had friends. I love it. I love it. Uh, good stuff. I must admit, I really enjoyed this documentary. I watched it twice, um, and I and the reason why was because I loved spending time with uh, with uh, Anthony Giacchino. I I feel like there was a different intention with this. I felt like this was Michael after COVID saying, "Come along to his brother." His brother had filmed everything all the way throughout his life to come along with him and make the documentary about Werewolf by Night. And because of so many COVID restrictions in the film, you could see everybody was still wearing their masks and people were stepping away from each other yeah. a lot. I feel like Anthony might have been pushed to the back a little bit. So because of that, he decided to expand the story and tell the story of how Michael got to where he was. Um, and, you know, I said it, I've said it before, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. It's turned yeah. into a very different and very good documentary about Michael Giancino and a bit about uh, the moments on set with Werewolf by Night. So I really enjoyed this one. No, and you you see that you see that the 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 biggest one is where the stars start to come over, and he's like, "Note to self: get a, don't get in the way of cast and crew." <laughs> and then while they're filming, he's no longer with his brother; he's at the back with the light mm-hmm. that the the little switch that does the bell. Yeah. I loved that, and, and that I thought like that was cool. Yeah. But also, I was like. Oh, you got relegated there. Uh-huh. You got told there's not enough space here. You need to jump out the back. Yeah. And he found something cool. And he's, then you see that he said during certain scenes, you see that he is actually operating the dolly mm-hmm. or he's operating the crane, actual craned camera that sits on the pack. And you literally have the cameraman holding him, yeah. pulling him around <laughs> to get the shot. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. It was just, it was, this is the the most documentary documentary, <laughs> if that makes sense. Of documentaries ever. <laughs> well, no, I'm not going that far. That is a different thing. But this was the most, where we have a lot of the other ones are making ofs or mm-hmm. promotional kind of snippets, smashed exactly. to PR, smashed together. This was a documentary about the director by night yeah. and day. 
and a couple of months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any last thoughts on uh, on directed by Nice? Uh, not I, really. Just I, I kind of, I just love the whole ethos and feel of this. Yeah. And you mentioned it already. I did love the reenactment of their movie with the kids coming back, doing the reunion at the end at their school, and uh, some of them saying their lines back like they'd said 35 years before. And I thought that was a lovely little touch uh, to close out this documentary. The fact that he remembered it. Yeah. The guy was like, he was like, I'm (laughs) I'm, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to prompt you this. And then he just went. And I was like, Oh so wow! You 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 have been living that scene in your head for many years. I love it. I love it. But wouldn't you, if you had an Oscar-winning mate that uh, directed you in a movie, you'd probably be at home watching that movie, going, "It could have been me. <laughs> could have been me." Brilliant stuff. That's the end of our documentary uh, part of uh, of the podcast. We are going to move away from Marvel, and we are going to finally, finally, <laughs> yes, announce. The winners of our Obsidian Bar Quiz, the Umbrella Academy Quiz, which was a lot more difficult than our Marvel Quiz. It was. It was. Um, we I wasn't allowed to give as many hints as I'm able to do on Marvel uh, on the Marvel shows. Um, we had nine episodes, only half an hour long for She-Hulk, so a lot less was happening in the episodes to pull out questions. So, so we don't have as many people in the draw for the Umbrella Academy. So congratulations to those of you who have made it through uh, the draw. Let's kick off with our first question, and there may be spoilers here for any of you who haven't finished uh, Umbrella Academy Season 3. Um, if you're not going to join us for, uh, for the Answer to the Bar Quiz, thanks for joining us for our discussion about these two documentaries on Marvel. Absolutely. Yes, thank you so much. But should we get into... The question and answers. Let's kick off with question one for season three, episode one of Umbrella Academy. Meet the family. Question one was how many sandwiches does Lester pocket pack in his case as he prepares for his journey? The answer was six. Can you Yum. say that question one more time? Because no, that seems like a tug twister. I, I worked, I worked <laughs> really my hardest to get that right. Once and one go only. John? <laughs> yes. On to question two from the episode World's Biggest Ball of Twine. Who cut the ribbon at the opening of the Hotel Obsidian? It was... The one and only Sir Reginald Hargreaves. Little did we know that would be a spoiler for the season (laughs) when we gave out that question at the beginning. (laughs) Yep. Little did we know. Old Reggie. For episode three, Pocketful of Lightning, we had the following question. What is the name of the newsstand where Luther buys chewing gum and condoms? The answer is Finch Square Newsstand. Yes, that is Finch Square Newsstand news stand for all of your essentials mm-hmm. chewing right. gum and condoms <laughs> yeah and we said bye i don't think he bought any of them he stole them when they really disappeared didn't he well, that's true, <laughs> that's true. Yes. in episode 304 google blitz question four was what are the names of the five cities and towns that harlan and sissy moved through in the opening flashback they were salt lake city valley city bend Tampa Bay and Oakland. They also went through New Mexico as well, just in case you wanted to grab a sixth. So we will give uh, five points for any of those. Yes, definitely. Uh, For episode five, Kindest Cuts, the following question. What food does Klaus and his mother share on the beach while Klaus is dead? It is menudo. Very good. For episode six, Marigold, question six. What is Stanley's favorite snack combination or last meal? The answer is a slushy and Slim Jim. 
Okay. Yes, slushy and a slim gym. Classic combination. All your uh, basic vitamins and minerals in, in there. <laughs> and sugars. <laughs> For episode 307 of We Design, question seven was, how many dead bodies do Herb and Dot make their way past to get to Leela at the Infinite Switchboard in 1953? They made their way past three bodies. Three bodies. For episode eight, wedding at the end of the world. What is the dress code for Luther and Sloane's wedding? It is black tie. Seems like a really obvious answer to that question. And whether you'd watched the episode or not, you probably would have assumed black tie for a wedding, right? It, it, was, it was an interesting, it was an easy one. But if you think of what the Umbrella Academy is, it could have been anything. It could have been fishbowl and been. astronauts. Yes. It could have been. <laughs> For episode number nine, Seven Bells, we had the question, in the grand tradition of the legend of seven, the Norse had seven of what? Again, in the grand tradition of the legend of seven, the Norse had seven of what? The answer is sleepers. Yes, sleepers. Much like that question gave me. Seven sleepers sleeping. Yes. (laughs) And the final question for... Umbrella Academy Season 3, for Episode 10, Oblivion, the question was, who are the members of the three groups sent off by Reggie to explore the Hotel Oblivion for the sigil? The answer was, Group 1 was Alison, Victor, and Number 5. Group 2 was Diego and Leela. Group 3 was Sloane and Ben. There you go, those were the three groups that went off. We were doing so well, of course. Technical issues now uh, as we get back to announce the winner of uh, the Umbrella Academy uh, Obsidian Bar Quiz. Um, so Chris isn't here. Just myself and John, we're going to do uh, the draw for the winner of the Umbrella Academy Quiz. Uh, well done to Clover, Dr. Bob, Phillips, Victor Von Doom and Brandy Anderson, who all got the questions correct. Yes. Well done. Absolutely well done, fellow alumni mm. and quizzes. Absolutely. Uh, lots of very difficult questions there. Ten questions, lots of different answers. So well done to all of you for uh, getting all the answers correct. Yes. Okay, I'll try this one, John, I think. Yes, fire away in the electronic tombola. That okay. is Google. Hey, Google, give me a random number between one and four. Two. Well done, Dr. Bob Phillips. Yes, congratulations, Dr. Bob uh, for winning the Umbrella Academy Obsidian Bar Quiz. Yes, and just like with the uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law um, Bar Exam, uh, I'll be in contact with you to, let you to, to ask whether you want um, some Umbrella Academy uh, comic books, some uh, collected graphic novels, uh, or um, some Funko Bops from Umbrella Academy. Well done, Dr. Bob. Uh, thanks to everybody for entering. That was really good. Absolutely. And, uh, yes, those will be winging their way to you very soon. Yeah, thanks so much, fellow quizzers and alumni, for uh, taking part in the pub quiz. It okay. was a tough one this time. It was. It was. Technical issues resolved. So back to uh, to myself, John, and Chris uh, for the rest of the podcast. Uh, Want to absolutely uh, say a huge thank you to Dr. Bob, who, along with each question for the Umbrella Academy, gave us a new cocktail for yes. each of the ten episodes. <laughs> For the show, and they are fantastic. I've I've tasted one or two of them. Yes, we have um, been working our way through the um, adult slushies. Yes. I guess. Well, yes. I didn't get any. <laughs> so, you, you haven't been home, and you haven't been over it's to true. our house it's for true. cocktail it's night, true. Chris. So, it's uh, true. Yeah. It is true on many. We levels. will do cocktail night. 
Yay! I get to get messed up. (laughs) And thanks again to everybody who's listened along with us for this episode of TV Podcast Industries. We said it will be back uh, next time in Marvel with the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which is coming out on November 25th, so not long to wait. The holiday special, Christmas special, a month before Christmas, <laughs> of yes. course, because Marvel like to do that. Yes, uh, and next week will be the final episode uh, from our coverage of DC's Pennyworth, mm-hmm. the origins of Batman's butler. That's right, that's right. Mm. I hate that subtitle, but hey, it's got Batman in it. Easy to find yeah. on HBO Max. Uh, we have also recently covered Black Panther. Chris, I know, is going along to see that in the cinema uh, tomorrow, uh, so we're not going to spoil <laughs> anything for him uh, on that, but you can find our coverage of Black Panther uh, over on TV Podcast Industries. I'm going to give a big shout out here because the embargo has lifted and we can say that we've seen the first three episodes of the new Willow series available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you'll be able to get those first three episodes at the end of the month on the 30th of November. And myself and John watched those uh, a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely loved them. This is exactly the action um, adventure comedy that you remember from uh, from yes. Willow as a kid. Um, it, it works really well. First episode it's just establishing things and then the other two get the comedy rolling uh, and I'm expecting a, a lot more uh, as the season goes on. Um, not sure we're going to be covering, going to be able to cover it here uh, on TV Podcast Industries. Uh, got a lot to do uh, as the rest of the year closes out, but um, but check into uh, Willow and see if you uh, see if you enjoy it when it comes out at the end of the month. Yes, and I strongly suggest if you are not, watch Andor. That's it. Just oh, watch yes. Andor. Absolutely. My God. That's yeah. just, it's just, mwah. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Spy, spycraft set in the universe of Star Wars. Absolutely. It is brilliant. Yeah. And big tip for everybody, there is a post credit scene on the finale of Andor. Watch it. It's well worth watching. Yes, it certainly is. Mm. I love that show. Such I want more Andor. Yep. Yep. Well, good there thing you're more. getting this. Yeah, it's filming. <laughs> I know. Yep. Uh, so go watch it. Uh, great show as well. That's, Probably enough uh, to to keep you going for the next couple of weeks. Uh, We'll be back very soon with our Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special coverage. And thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. If you have liked what you hear, if you like the previous shows, the things we cover, and everything in between, make sure you support us by heading on over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Energies, where you can support us for any ongoing monthly amount. Helps keep the lights on, the server running, and things like that. Don't have that to give. Don't worry. You can buy us a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI where you can do a one-off donation and essentially buy us a coffee that helps keeps our editor supreme in caffeine as he toils away the wee hours making sense of what we record and putting it out. (laughs) Finally, if you ain't got that, don't worry. It's all good too. You can share the podcast because sharing the podcast is what, gentlemen? Sharing the Sharing the love. So for now, for me, bye-bye. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us on this wrap-up of the two makings of or documentaries, Mm -hmm. however you want to describe them. It's a pleasure, as always. But before we chat to you again, uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. 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 (laughs) 